conspiracy, what do you believe? Welcome back to Conspiracies, What Do You Believe? we like to thank you for listening to all of our past episodes and hope you stay with us for our current and future episodes. This one here, some of you might have heard of, it's about the Skull and Bones. This is episode 17. The Skull and Bones, aka The Order, Order 332 and the Brotherhood of Death, was supposed to be the most famous secret society in America. It is an underground, undergraduate, senior student secret society at the Yale University. The members are known for its powerful alumni and conspiracy theories. The purpose of the society is to help members reach political prominence. Similar to the Masons, but more exclusive, there are others who believe they have more villainous aspirations. Now you have to attend Yale to get in, or do they let others? You have to go to Yale and be tapped. The nickname of the society is Bones. Members are known as Bonesmen, members of the Order or Initiates to the Order. The Skull and Bones Secret Society was founded in 1832 by William Huntington Russell and Alfonso Taft. Russell was a valedictorian but didn't get into the most secret societies on campus at his time. So Russell and Taft started the Skull and Bones. Interesting fact! Skull wasn't originally spelled S-C-U-L-L. So I gather over the years they just changed it to Skull when people said Skull and Bones? That could be. The Russell Trust was organized by Russell and Gilman. It owns the Skull and Bones real estate. It oversees the memberships and the assets. It also owns and manages a 40-acre retreat, which is now a dump. They, I guess they just let it go. Probably just stopped on the retreats and just never yeah because you know how you start something and yeah over time it just goes away people's interests change over the generations yeah the tomb is what their hall is called it is on the campus at yale the building was built in three sections the first wing was built in 1856 the second one was in 1903 and then the third in 1912 which had neo-gothic towers added to the rear garden that is where the meetings are held. The address to the tomb is 64 High Street, New Haven, Connecticut. If anyone so, wants to go and see it. So, basically, the well, the group that runs Yale just lets this happen, like they know all the buildings going on, or uh, maybe what? they know, maybe they don't, maybe they just think it's another. Or maybe some of the ones running it now are past or members and let it go. Yeah, could be. Okay. For the membership, the Skull and Bones turns out some of the world's most powerful people, but to get in the members must be tapped. And they have what's called Tap Day, and that's when the Skull and Bones select new members from the outgoing junior class. This happens around springtime. No, mem- no women were allowed as members until in the early 1900s. See, that's just terrible. On Tap Day, the Skull and Bones choose 15 men and women of the junior class to join. They tap who they want or who as they see as campus leaders and notable figures in the power elite. The qualifications for membership is they don't really know because of its secrecy. Originally it was almost exclusively white Protestant men. It was very exclusive. 
more so than the university which was very strict. Some Catholics got in because of being tapped for sports. The class of 1938 had its first Jewish member, Al Hesburgh, because of football. The class of 1950 tapped the first African-American, Levi Jackson. He turned it down. In 1960, it became co-ed. In 1991, seven women were tapped for the class of 1992. It's funny that that guy turned it down because usually nobody turns down anything. Yeah, but... Maybe he just didn't think they were right. Well, maybe, like, since it was back then, him being black and, like, this white group wanted him to join maybe he thought they were up to something kind of like maybe a Ku Klux Klan type deal or something it, it could have been well the membership wasn't kept secret until the 1970s but then the meetings and the practices were so in other words you had everybody knew who the members were but you didn't know what they were doing yep well then in, eight, in 1985 an anonymous source leaked members names to the to Anthony C. Sutton. He kept it secret for 15 years because he thought the person who leaked it would be found out. So, up until the 70s, everybody knew who was in the in the society. And then after after that, the they... 70s, it became secret, and you didn't know what the meetings and practices were. So this guy kept the list he had secret for 15 because years. Because he didn't want his, the person who leaked it to him to be found out. Yeah, but how are they going to know it was him? So what they do, wait until the guy died and then run it out or something? I don't know. Maybe he just held it for so long until he felt that if he releases it, the people who were, you know, around or whatever wouldn't know who did it then. ...forms to distinguishing themselves from other soldiers. The Why thing that gets me... Exactly. I mean, it wasn't matter if they're handsome or not. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. That was funny, though. Yeah, like, that, to me, if somebody, if I'm you know, basically paying somebody to guard me. I could really care less what they look like. Huh? If they're willing oh, to the, the, the possibly sacrifice their life to save me, why would I care what they look like? I don't know, make them look like a really nice looking unit of men? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't know, that's weird. In May 13th, Columbia County or Kings District Committee of Safety and Protection reported to Washington that they uncovered a plot that Tories were to rise up against America. This was described as a dreadful scheme. Continental Congress described the allegations as a plot to slaughter people for liberty. The Committee of Inspection in Fairfield, Connecticut sent a letter to Washington. They intercepted a sailing vessel in Long Island. They found 10 Tories on board. They confessed to be going to meet with ministerial troops. Ten more were arrested in Ratting, and all were believed to have been part of the plot. They continued to discover more to the plot. One was that there were more people involved, even in high places like deeply into Congress and committees. They said it ran so deep that they could not be overthrown. Washington tried to cut off any assistance the local people were providing to the enemy. Patrols were increased and, and anyone attempting to help the enemy were arrested and went to trial before the Committee of Safety. Washington told the Continental Congress since they were unable to stop the enemy aid, there may be internal and external enemies to deal with. On June 21st, Mayor David Matthews was ordered to be arrested. He was arrested on June 22nd at 1 a.m. June 23rd, 
Matthew said he was approached by Tryon when he had been servants and went to Constantinople. She spent nine years traveling the world, privately financed by her While on her travels, she didn't keep a diary and she traveled alone. So we only have her word on what happened. There was no reliable account on the next 25 years of her life. Myth and reality began to merge. In Constantinople, Helena said she made friends with Agardi Metrovich, a Hungarian opera singer. She was supposed to have saved him from murder. While there, she met Countess Sophia. She went with her on her travels to Egypt, Eastern Europe, and Greece. She became Helena, Helena's travel companion. In 1851, Helena went to Paris to met Ms. Maurice Victor Mendelssohn. Then she went to England. There, she said she was. She saw the Indian man in her visions. He was a Hindu master or Maurya. There were conflicting stories where they met, but she was adamant that he told her he had a special mission for her and she needed to go to Tibet. She then went to Canada. She went to the Native American tribes in Quebec. She was robbed while trying to meet the tribe's magico religious specialists. She blamed it on the Christian missionaries that corrupted the Indians. So she blamed the missionaries for her being robbed. Yeah. Okay. Helena traveled to New Orleans, Texas, and went to Bombay. While she spent two years in India, she followed the instructions sent from Moria. She tried to enter Tibet, but the British administration denied her. She said she then headed back to England by ship the, that wrecked near the Cape of Good Hope. She arrived in England in 1854 during the Crimean War. There she encountered trouble for being a Russian citizen. She worked as a concert musician. In the United States, she visited New York, Chicago, Salt Lake City, San Francisco, then she went back to India by way of Japan. In India, she visited Kashmir, Kashmir. and Burma. She tried to get into Tibet again, and this time she was successful. She was accompanied by a Tartar shaman who wanted to go to Siberia and thought a Russian citizen could get him there. When they got to Lay, they became lost. They joined a Tartar group. Then she returned to Europe. There she spent time in France and Germany. In 1858, Helena returned to her family in Poskpokov. She claimed to have encountered more paranormal activity. She heard creaking, rapping, and furniture moving on her own, on their own. 1862, she reconciled with her husband and adopted a child that died in 1867 at the age of five. Then in 1864, Melina fell from a horse, was in a coma for some months with a spinal fracture. She said when she came out of the coma, she had full control of her paranormal abilities. Then she went to Italy, Transylvania, and Siberia. Serbia, sorry. In 1867, she went back to the Balkans, Hungary, and returned to Italy. She said while she was in Italy, she was injured fighting at the Battle of Mentana. She received a message from Maria to go to Constantinople where he met her. They went to Tibet. She was like all over the place. Like, Jeez. She was everywhere. 
In Tibet, she stayed with Master Kut Humi near Tashihumpo Monastery in Shikatsi. Well, then the lifeguard was disbanded in 1783. No one else paid the price that Hickey did. Matthews was arrested but escaped. Tryon fought with the British and went back to England when the war was over. Right, let's do a little bit of speculating here. The army chose to go with the murder angle because it was exposed that the Tories could kidnap Washington from the army with the help of his guards, which show a weakness in the cause of the revolution. So in other words, they didn't want anybody to know that they were just going to kidnap Washington. They wanted to say Just to get rid of him. Yeah. yeah. And then the murder plot was better than the kidnapping plot. But Washington never mentioned the plot on his life. So, Maybe he just wanted to forget her, just not allow this to really live on. Because if if it, if it uh, how do I want to say it? If everybody knew about it, there might be more attempts. So he kept it quiet, and it well, stayed the quiet. Well, didn't keep it quiet. Yeah, but nobody. There, there, I mean, if you think about, it, if you go back in history, how many t did you ever read about this in school? No. So it was kept quiet for the most part. Or was it really true? I mean. That's up to you to believe, to decide if, if you think this was really happened or not. It Again, all up to you. Thanks for listening to all this episode and all of our other episodes. We hope you enjoyed The Plot to Kill George Washington. It's a little different from what we have been doing, but we like to mix it up from time to time. Like usual, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at conspiracytheory2018 at gmail.com. We would love to hear what you have to say. The email address can be found in the show's notes. Now that you've heard the story, what do you believe?